Welcome back. Thank you for hanging out with us once again. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I am your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out with producer extraordinaire Randy Walker. Guest this week. I met him last week, but I'll be damned if this, this wasn't going to be an entertaining show. I got Bryce Lovin in the house, Jeff Ginn there from Slalom Build. We had a little golf outing and three minutes of conversation. I said, you guys got to come on the show. But we're going to have a fun talk about everything about building a new Slalom Build office in Detroit life of a dev leadership expectations and a lot of fun stuff these guys are uh, pop culture geeks movies gaming the whole nine so we're going to get into all of it you can find us online it in the d.com do us a favor give us a like on the socials subscribe to us everywhere fine podcasts are sold don't forget meetup.com slash it in the d find out where we are uh, we will not be on St. Patrick's Day, which is third Thursday. We're going to move it to the 24th. We're going to be at the Yield Saloon. No speakers, no uh, no cover charge, just IT folks hanging out, having uh, Pabst Blue Ribbon and $2 bacon on a stick, and I cannot wait. Before we get going, I have to uh, I have to uh, found out about an hour ago, one of my uh, heroes, legends, uh, Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, passed away, so R.I.P., um, always love telling the story when uh, uh, Eric Gutierrez, who's uh, the the writer of the movie Bender, we had him on the show a couple times. Uh, we were in the the men's room at Astronomicon, and uh, he happened to be uh, using the restroom in between us. I, I say the story sometimes filthier, um, but he ended up finishing before us. And as he's leaving, I hear this, "Hey yo, you two gonna have a dark match?" And he turned the lights off on us, and uh, so that's my fond memory of of peeing next to one of the my, my wrestling legends and he just passed away today so r.i.p to all of his friends and family and anybody else that uh was involved in them um randy and you guys can chime in too bryce and jeff but i saw hands down i thought tomorrow war was the worst movie i've ever seen in my life um but i've i saw one that's worse what, and it, what's that and it's called fast and furious nine and i cannot believe like those were movies were always hokey and a little stupid and you know it started getting weird when they were jumping lamborghinis from one building to another building right and i was like all right and i'll give them the pass but this time they went way over the edge have you seen it randy i have never seen a fast and furious movie the first one was good i'm not gonna lie the first one was actually good it was really well done and it was a nice story to it and i think they're doing it now just to be goofy um like this one, did you guys see this, Bryce Jeff? Did you guys see this at all? I, I didn't see it either, unfortunately, but I have seen the, the first couple. I think I had a poster in, uh, in my college dorm, I think, on, on the first one of Vin Diesel. <laughs> but I think I, I stopped somewhere uh, somewhere after that. <laughs> they're, uh, I'm watching with my wife, and all of a sudden they're just talking and hanging out. The next thing you know, they're in like all these military vehicles driving. I'm like, wait, 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 how the hell did that just happen? The movie gets goes through all this. It's just missiles and flying around and goofy stuff. Charlize Theron is flying a, a stealth bomber, by the way, and hits a truck with four missiles as she's going like Mach two, and the truck is still driving with the with whatever the guy's name is. It's driving, but they take a Pontiac Fiero and they strap a rocket to it and they like seal it off, and the guys wear like sub diving gear. And they launched it into space to take out a satellite. And like, literally, they they drive. It's not like they have a rudder or they're like steering the car. And they like drive it through the satellite and it blows up, but they're still fine. Then they get found by like this Russian satellite and they like dock and they save them. And literally, they're like back on Earth. Like, there's honestly, hands down, one of the most ridiculous scenes in the history of film. I digress. 
how you guys doing? You guys all right? <laughs> yeah, well. I, I, I don't know how to follow up uh, all of that excitement, uh, you know, with, with some uh, reality. But I think that was your was your goal to kind of set us back to earth here a little bit. Yep. You had to. <laughs> we had to. So cards on table. I uh, I am. Co- you know, we were talking last week about the new job I got. Uh, cards on table. I do work with you guys. I don't want this to be a, a crummy commercial for the new company I work for. So I just wanted to be upfront about it. You guys are in a completely different department. Do something completely. I'm not affiliated with. So, and, you know, everyone knows me as the sales guy and I'm not here to, uh, you know, hawk your wares, but I just, you know, you guys got a great story to tell and I wanted to tell it. So, um, just wanted to get that out of the way. So, um, for those that don't know, or like, you know, it's funny, every, I get these two weird mixes when I say I work at slalom, I get the, Oh my God, dude, what a great company. And then I get people that can't pronounce it or like. And it's like this weird like mix of I always um what was the 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 Randy with the two circles and I'm in the middle, the Venn diagram. The Venn diagram. Where like, you know, for like my firefighter nerds on Bill Gates and for my um my IT friends, I'm a complete window licker. And I'm like right in the middle of this weird world. And that's what I feel like with slalom. Um, but like what what you know, when you guys did you guys get the same take as I do when you say you're at slalom and like you get that, oh my God, or you get that, what the heck is that? Same, same take, and you say it's like it's like the skiing thing, like the Olympic skiing slalom. Right, right. So we were like, oh, oh so so you do skiing then? Uh, no, 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 no. It could be worse. Skis, you could be named Triple Salkow or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, then yeah. um, I've gotten it spelled like you know, what do you work in it like S L E U M or like you know, like these weird spellings. Like how do you spell it? And I'm like, like this, like you, we grew up with this on the Olympics, and you know. Um, but no, uh, so slalom build. I mean, you guys. Um, I hate to say you guys are the dev arm of, of slalom, but that's what you are. Now, what do you uh, when you're saying you're you're um, building out a new uh, slalom build center in Detroit? What is it? What does that mean? So it is a new organization within Detroit where we're going to build modern software products, and we're going to focus on exactly what what you said about the the dev piece of it, the tech delivery piece of it. So I'm very strong in in technology tech consulting. Build is focused 100% on how do we do tech delivery and build software with our clients. So I'm uh, I'm kind of new, so I know a couple of things we've done. But uh, what are some examples of some cool projects we've done? Yeah, uh, mobile app for Hyatt. So check into your Hyatt room when when you get in. Um, do they have the keys on there? St- yeah, the the key, the phone key thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't used one yet, but like I, I remember like they said you could use it. I'm like, yeah, it's easier just to swipe the key. You know what I mean? Uh, I wonder how many. Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry. Ever show up and there's like a line to check in, right? Yeah. But then you just got it on your phone and you go you go right to your room. No, that's fair. That's no, it's actually cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And some really cool work for Avis around uh, connected vehicle and and their their fleets. Um, AWS type stuff uh, that that was done. Oh, oh, you know what? I totally, uh, I totally missed something, and I need to get it. We need to talk about it now because I forgot totally about today's Pi Day, and I don't know what's dumber is is Detroit Day March thirteenth dumber or is Pi Day dumber? I've got it. Uh, Go ahead, Randy. I was going to say probably. Pi Day is the the sillier of the two holidays. It's kind of, you know, Pi is not is way more precise than three one four. Plus, you know, a lot of countries list the fourteen first before the three, so it's not even a global thing. 
Well, if it's three point, what is it? Three point one four one five nine. So that like would that. be like what one o'clock p.m. If it's yeah, military exactly. time, no, fifteen is what three. I don't know. Yeah, not three o'clock. <laughs> you know. The days and the calendar isn't even a decimal system either, so there's a you know there's a there's a lot of that too. So it it is a bizarre day for sure. The Detroit day, was worse. The Detroit day was like a big thing here for a while because there was hashtag three one three day, and I start traveling the Midwest and I'm like, are you guys celebrating March twelfth in Chicago? And they're like, you were an absolute idiot, Bob. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, three one three day is like a thing in Detroit. They're like, you guys are stupid. And then, so every city I went where like the, the area code could be a date, I always ask them and I get the same thing. You're you, Bob, you're an absolute, you're an idiot. Um, I, I just need to need to tell you this. So I'm like, all right, I appreciate it. Anyway, going back, going back to build. So you guys are, you know, so what were you doing yesterday versus, you know, building the location out this year? Were you, are you just at the point now where you have enough people to call it a location? Is that kind of started it from scratch? What, uh, what's the story behind that? Yeah, it's bringing in that that build network we have, and there are build centers in in other cities, right? Already, and this is where we're we're bringing that into Detroit, and we're doing it because there is so much demand for for tech delivery, tech talent in in Detroit, and we grew to a pretty good size scale on how we were doing tech delivery out of our local market, and we said, hey, it makes sense to bring it bring this in, and also there's a lot of really strong talent in Detroit that we can form teams around. And do it at do everything we've been doing, but at an even larger scale. That was uh, it. Brings up an interesting point because last week we had Matt Turner on, and he's a recruiter, and we started talking about kind of the great resignation and what it takes to attract talent, and what do you have to do? Um, you know, do you have your pitch down? Like, what do you what do you have to do to get someone that's deving over there to come over here, so to speak? Right. Yeah, I think it's it's the the type of work you're going to be doing. But then it's also the culture that you're going to be working in, right? And Slalom is big on, on its core values, its culture, people first. Um, and when I first heard it, I was like, hey, there are marketing sites out there. Any marketing site for any company is going to have the same stuff on it. But now that I've been part of it for three and a half, four years or so, it's it's kind of true. And we focus on that, on that people first aspect and how we build teams, very thoughtful there. And I think that's that's a differentiator. So when I when I came up, you know, I was learning how to write basic code on a Commodore 64, right? And we'd write these stupid, you know, 20 go to 10, you know, dumb programs. I think some uh some uh the Ryan Reynolds the new movie, The Adam Project, I think made a joke about that. Um doing like I was all geeking out. Um and when I got into like you know, in college, I I kind of shied away from it cuz it was super it just wasn't for me, the coding side. But I know things have evolved and like you know, the whole developer experience, I still think of it as just, you know, almost like a movie-ish to me, like just staring at this wall, like, and not blinking your eyes for, for hours on end. Um, you know, what's, I guess, walk me through in your eyes, what will like the whole developer experience? Cause I think a lot of people that want to make this a career or getting into these DevX programs, um, are kind of, you know, my only pitch was it's like learning Spanish, right. Or it's like learning a new language, except it, it, you know, it actually does something in the, in the end, but that's really simple. So I, I, you know, walk me through, I guess, what, what a day in the life is, you know, for, for a dev. Yeah. I mean, I think one, one thing that I want uh, maybe not about the day in the life, but I'll come back to that. But I, I think that the, uh, it's amazing in, in this time, uh, how quickly you can learn to code. I think these the boot camps and other programs are really great. You know, a lot of us went through a, 
kind of the long-winded, you know, bankrupt your parents, uh, going to four-year college and then coming out with a degree that you can't really use because you didn't learn stuff. And so I, I love how we go like straight to um, the skills that the market needs. But I think there's more to that because, um, you know, soft, something we can get in later, software, I think, is 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 much more than just the code, especially the, the, the work that we're doing, building uh, um, services and products for clients. Um, and, and so I think you need to understand the people, you need to understand uh, owning um, owning the problem you're solving, being a, a great partner. And I think these are all uh, things that Salam does really, really well in a very intentional way. And, and so, um, you know, we talk about why are we building this now? Why didn't we build it last year? I, I think Salam really grows based on an intentionality of the market and, and when things are ready. It's not a, a matter of just throwing a bunch of bodies at something and trying to grow. I've been in those kinds of companies and, and, and I know where they're going. And I, I, so I think this really supports really the long-term growth and really the, the way that Salam's been able to grow in this way. And um, as, so I think really the day-to-day -day is, is as much as it's coding, I think it's also really learning um, being very empathetic with with the client and really um, really um, meeting them where they are and figuring out what they need and then helping them deliver that. And I think it's really not it's not a, a linear thing. It, it's something that really takes a lot of uh, uh, effort and, and and care. And I think that's something that's very exciting about uh, the business that we're in. I keep talking to a lot of people. I got two teenage daughters, right? And we, you know, like, what do you want to push them into? And you know, as every time I bring it up, I kind of get the shush, Dad. You know, you're stupid. Um, but everyone I talk to basically says, you know, we're in just dire need of UX people. And how important is that when in, when you're like building um, software, what the user experience is? To me, I think it's everything. Um, granted, you know, if you have one bug in it or if, you know, the one glitch in a Netflix movie and you're rolling your eyes already, you know what I mean? It's like the, the users, are, we're all spoiled. Like we're, we're so spoiled. But I guess. Walk me through how, how important the user experience is in, in when you're building these things. And you're you're building them to be used by by people, by humans, right? So if you're not thinking about the types of humans and the personas and, and kind of it goes back to the why you're building the software, then it's it's not gonna have the the experience. Everything needs to kind of be human led. And we even do like even API development. We talk a lot about human-centered APIs. And that ties back a little bit to the dev experience piece too, because oftentimes when you build an API, your, your user might be a developer, might be another system. But e even there, like the experience is, is so key to what, what you're putting out there. So you make sure that humans actually want to use what, what you're building. It's solving a problem for somebody. Well, you almost got to get it to like the bottom, like you start your baseline is like the bottom user. Um, and like, you know, my mom comes over this weekend, hands me a laptop and says, you know, I need to log into this thing. And dude, I got, she got this like blue screen of death, but it said to call a number. And then obviously the number's India. They want gift cards. Right. And I'm like, oh my God, for the love of God, don't, you know, let me see your laptop. And like, she's like, I'm telling her like, oh, scroll down here. And I guess, you know, this nomenclature to her is all new. She never really had to use a laptop before. And I'm like, had to like, okay, you know think like a five-year-old, right? Explain like I'm five type of thing. So I'm like, I'm kind of going through it, but is that part of your process is like almost like thinking of like, you know, the, a window licker and going, can, can they, can they work this, this app? Right. It, it depends who, who we're building the app for. Right. So I mean, I'm the window licker in this scenario. So I'm just <laughs> if we're, and that's, that's something we've got to figure out. Like who, what is the, what is the least technical user that's going to use the app? We're doing some, internal apps for healthcare companies right now 
where the least technical users are pretty technical folks in, in the data department. And so let's figure out what their needs are and and what they need in their in the software. It's almost like like I'm thinking of like the DTE map, like the outage map for like my mom. They they forced her to get a smartphone. She didn't want one. She wanted her flip up, but the company doesn't support them anymore. And now she has all these apps and like, you know, teaching how to like do this, do that, you know, password or password there. But like, you know, they made that thing fairly simple, like put your address in, how long you've been out, push go. You know what I mean? This, this you know, they tried to make this, I think. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. Getting adoption is is keeping it normal. You know, I, I guess, you know, expand on that or talk to me about, you know, the thought process that goes behind it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the expectations right now are, are, are just completely, it, it's challenging compared to when we all started. I mean, obviously, I don't want to place everyone here where, where we did, but I remember where you could get away with a lot of stuff, full page refreshes, you know, every page you go to, it's a whole page load. And this is just uh, GeoCities, you know, Lycos, right? You guys remember that stuff, right? So oh, yeah. we, we could deal with all of that before, but now that's not that's not the world we live in. I mean, people are on their phone first off. They, they don't like experience the moment they see it they're done and, and they're not going to go back. So no matter how much sophistication that you can have, how how genius the data is, how how fast the server is, you know, the application works, uh, if they don't, if they're not feeling good about what they see, they're gone. And I think that's extremely difficult. And how we solve it, we don't have builders, slalom builders are not all everything. We're not full stack, front end, back end, UX, you know, QA, right? We have a very intentional separation of the work we have specialists in experience. We have specialists in QE, specialists in software engineering, where Jeff and I are, are coming from. So I think it's really a collaboration and partnership to make this product experience that the the, the users, the customers of our clients will, will continue to use and, and thrive. And so I think it's it's not a individual sport. It's very much a team sport. And I think that's something that we very much uh, you know embrace. And and really, I think all modern technology that 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 has legs will um, you know has to follow. So I think that's kind of how we we tackle that challenge. And I mean, I, look at. Oh, I go will ahead, say just real quick that my mom loves the DT outage map. She calls me excited every time the power's out. I use the outage map. Nice, nice, nice. Um, nice. I was gonna say, look at like what Detroit Labs did with the Domino's app, and if you look look at how basic it is. But how game changing it was just knowing that, you know, Jimmy put it in the oven, you know, Billy's putting pepperonis on it now, you know, Susie's got it in her car. You know what I mean? Like it, it just got you made you like feel part of the process because that was a big part of, well, where's my where's my damn pizza? Right. Or what, you know, as long as you know, hey, this thing's walked out, you know, and then you look at DoorDash now, you know, I know when the car's in front of my house, like it's gotten that granular. Um so it's 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 pretty amazing the just how far like these apps have come like you know again we're spoiled I, I remember uh do you ever see the Louis CK bit when like the first time he flew with Wi-Fi yeah it's like yeah. you know the Wi-Fi goes out a half an hour in the flight and the guy next to me is like this is bullshit it's like yeah half an yeah. hour ago this never existed like yeah you know, sure. all of a sudden now you're some spoiled you know I think that comes into uh does that come into play when you guys are building stuff like you know, just the, the like the demands, like the heavy demands. Once a user sees it, smells it, like you just completely change the game, and that's it moving oh, yeah. forward. Oh, yeah, definitely. No, I I love that. I love the analogy because I, I never forget when I, I used to travel a lot in my in my last position, and 
I, I remember waiting in line. There were these business guys, you know, they had the backpack with the with their logo on it. I think it was like Microsoft or something. And uh, uh, we've heard of them, right? And I remember they were complaining something. There was some announcement that like the Wi-Fi was out. Oh no, it wasn't Wi-Fi was out. You had to pay for the Wi-Fi, right? You had to pay $20 for the flight, right? which is like ridiculous. But then again, it's like, to your point, you're in the air and you have Wi-Fi. If you know, like, this is like there are worse things to complain about, and and the fact that you even have that possibility is 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 just completely ridiculous. So I I think that's it. There's a huge the expectations and and what people can tolerate has changed so so drastically. Well, you look at I just you know I've been flying a few times lately, and Delta has the personal TVs behind the seat rests on every you know, and there's no flight movie in the in the middle you know on the big screen like now i get to watch live tv i get to watch old seinfeld or old you know it's uh it's you know what's crazy about it i gotta talk about this randy i don't know if i brought this up to you i'm watching some one of these stupid like oh you killed my daughter i'm gonna kill your whole family type movies right the the take-ins or whatever and they're like i didn't realize on delta flights they actually showed nudity and i was like completely in a panic that someone behind me was gonna like ring the bell and i'm like putting my hand up on the screen and i'm like i thought they edited this crap so i remember watching caddyshack when that first got it and they're like completely edited even like down to the swear words and whatnot like spalling didn't even say rat farts like it was that edited now i'm like all of a sudden you're like oh my god i'm like you know because everybody looks at everybody else's tv to see what they're watching you know what i mean it's just part of the anyway I was on a bus. Uh, so my family is from China, my, my wife's from China. And so we were out there and uh, we, we took a bus, like one of the local bus, but it was like a three hour bus from the, you know, one city to the next. And they had the little videos on it. And this was like five years ago. And they had like, like Black Hawk Down or something was playing. And I was like, this is a little bit extreme. Like there are kids on here and like these people are getting just like blown out, blown to bits and stuff. I thought this was the, 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 what they allowed to be seen, and uh, um, you know, obviously it wasn't a swear word problem because uh, it was a different language, but it was a, a uber violent for uh, uh, for just some local travel. Right, right. Uh, Do you remember the the video goggles, not Google goggles, but the ones where you can like watch, like almost like VR goggles, but they were look like sunglasses. And I was talking to some people that were like were heavy in the electronics in the Japanese market. And they're like, this is so guys can watch porn on the train. I go, this is the whole reason this was invented. I'm like, shut up. Like, don't don't even talk to me about that. Like, no, I swear to God, this is the that, that's the, the entire application is made just for that. And I'm like, well, you know, welcome to the Internet. Right. I think that industry is a big driver of uh, of our technology landscape. Oh, sure. we, we've been yeah. talking about that for years, how just telecom fiber and uh, like the whole PayPal and all those systems are all built. Yeah. For the, anyway, I digress. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Jeff, you brought up a point earlier when you talked about empathy and leadership, and I'm just curious as to your take on it. Cause I've, I've been in quote unquote leadership now for about last three or four years of my career after being, you know, uh, individual contributor for about 20. So when you say empathy though, like, are you, what, you know, what are you talking about? I want to, I want to dive into this a little bit. I think it's about being being curious, right? And staying curious. So someone comes to you with your situation, nobody ever pings you and says, you there, question mark, as a leader, right? With, uh, yeah. I want to tell you how amazing my day was, right? They're pulling you in because yeah. something is not going the way it's supposed to be. And they, and they want to inform you about it or want your help with it. And I think empathy, it, it starts with going in those situations and just staying curious, not, not jumping to conclusions about, whomever or whatever the situation is going on, but just, just asking questions and keeping an open mind. And that's, it's a good way to start as an empathetic leader. 
So I wrote something after my first leadership stint, what I thought, and I said, you know, building a, a team or building a culture is kind of like the super friends, right? Where you don't want 12 Wonder Women, you don't want 12 Supermen, you need, and you don't need Batman talking to fish because you have Aquaman, right? So like I came up with this whole correlation, but I kind of, you know, what I, what I, that takeaway for me, if you brought it in personal, you know, there was someone on my team that was ex-military PTSD, um, told me he was bipolar, right? And he's going to have outbursts, but they're not out of passion, not anger. Yeah. And I listened to him and I let him yell at me when he needed to, because I knew it wasn't, he wasn't yelling at me. He was just talking, you know, he's passionate. But guess what? When, when COVID hit and we had to go home and he got to code at three in the morning, that was his best him. Right. And I, I had this aha moment and I would have never have known. And it's just funny how, you know, I told him, like, if you ever need to do that, I'll, you know, I got your back. I'll cover for you. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like finding out where the sweet spot is because not everybody's geared up for staring at a screen nine to five. They're just not. No, I, I think we're all we're all so different. And I think that's the key. That's the key part. I think we each need different things and, and uh, we thrive in different environments. And so I think it's really about um, for me, I think it's all it's all about understanding that so that we can unlock the best out, out of people. So one, one analogy that, that I've been sharing very frequently, Jeff, bear with me to, to share it again. But uh, I, I, I'm an avid golfer. And I, and I read this, uh, I read this article that I was talking about or by this uh, uh, gentleman, Bob Rattel, about, you know, wh- why is it that you can like, you can practice so well, but then you can't when you go to actually make the, uh, you know, on the course to, to make the, the shot, you know, you, you just have a horrible shot and you can't do it. And it's about, you know, think about it like a, um, Think about like a balance beam, right? The balance beam is just like a couple inches wide. You can, if it's on the ground, you can walk across it no problem, right? You could do that in your sleep. You raise that balance beam 50 feet in the air, all of a sudden it's very difficult to walk across because, you know, you're scared. There's a lot more risk involved. You know, it's the exact same action. The gravity is the same relatively at that height. So it's the same, right? Uh, and so I, I, I thought about this. Okay, this is this makes sense for golf. This is why I shank it always when I'm playing with friends. And now that makes sense. But then I think about it. It, it plays into how we how we work with other people and how we can help them, right? I think that from a team member, like like we each thrive in different situations. So you know, we know that some people can do the job very easily when it's safe, but then they can't do the job when there is a challenge, right? The challenge may not be the height. It could be that the the client, uh, you know, leader is really demanding, right? Or, or someone is just very afraid to fail in general, right? They can't get going. So we, uh, I think you can think easily, this job is so easy. You can't do it. I must need someone else. But if you think about it, what is it that is blocking that person from being able to, to execute and, and, and to do the thing that you know that they can do? And I think it all comes from understanding what is driving that difference and, and then helping them to both know that you understand it and to help them, you know, remove that blocker or, or, or understand, you know, one thing I always tell my developers, um, uh, you know, early as early as I can is it's okay to fail, right? It's okay to fail. We're going to fail all the time. We're not going to build anything great if we fail. So, so don't be afraid of it. The only thing I ask is don't fail at the same thing multiple times, right? If you fail at the same thing over and over, that's a pattern of, of, you know, kind of not learning, but if it's just a, uh, if it's just a fear to fail the first time, we should all be encouraged to, to do that. And that's how we learn. So I think it kind of crosses all kinds of um, the, the boundaries. But I think it's really just about letting people be comfortable with 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 what they can do and, and unlocking the most out of them. And, and, and 
it's helped me very much. See, what uh, I mean, my take was, what if they don't know? Because, like, you know, my guy knew, right? He's like, this is what this is what's in my head. This is what's going on. Some people don't know, and I've had a couple people that were super quiet. And I used to book twice a week half hour coffees. I just wanted them to talk to me. Um, great worker, just never talked. Yeah. And it's okay. Like I didn't need I didn't need any more, you know, alphas or you know, big big personalities on the team. I was you I was completely content with his work. But I just wanted to like what what makes you tick? What gets you up in the morning? What what puts fire in your belly? What you know, do you like to see the finished product? Do you like the build? Do you like the, you know, to see the client's face when they see it? Like what's what is the thing that just absolutely drives you? And I was like completely I think it's no different than uh, you know. We've always, we've always, Dave and I always wrote these blogs called the dating corollaries that dating and relationships and business and work, it's all so intertwined where like, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, friendship with someone like, you know, I know Randy doesn't want to go to a pro wrestling show with me, right? So guess what? I'm not asking him, but I know he likes, you know, craft cocktails. So if there's a cool rum bar or a tiki bar, I'm like, Randy, you want to go? And I, so it's like finding those two things that you have in common and kind of doubling down on it, right? Definitely. And I think that's kind of like with this is just finding out what, you know, where the fire comes in the belly. That's just my take. I'm just curious, you know, yeah. are, are you, you yeah. know, what's your take? Anything, anything to add? Yeah. It's having those conversations. So, you know, because that stuff isn't always static, right? People's priorities change based on where they're at in their, their career, what's going on. They might be really invested in learning and growth. They might be really invested in their personal life and stuff outside of work sometimes. So if you're having the conversations and, and keeping up on it, then you can help understand the changes and and create that environment, have that empathy. Yeah, I think my hardest part was there's stuff that's just personal that I don't want or need to know. It's not that I don't want to, but like you know, like people going through divorce or like you know, there's there's so cheated on them or you know, or they you know had a death in the family. You know what I mean? Like there's just and some some stuff they don't want to bring to work, and that that was my hardest thing was like you don't have to tell me all your stuff. I'm not your psychiatrist. Like, I don't like th- it's rude for me to try to get that out of you. It's just, you know, yeah. at that point I almost put them on a shelf and just, you know, let them kind of, it'll work itself out. Cause I knew they were good. I knew they were good workers. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. Yeah. I start a lot of those conversations with vent coach or help. So what, what are we doing here? Do you just want to vent about something and, and I will listen yeah. and sit back and, you know, do you want to coach and I'll ask some questions and help you get to the the answer and help you solve the problem? Or do you want me to jump in and, and help and do something? Um, yeah, yeah. So in the no, end, call out. I, I just let people, I let people roll. And yeah, sometimes there's oversharing and you get into some of that, that sensitive stuff, but it's part of what happens. That's I a good call out. I want to steal that if you don't mind. I, I think, uh, I think empathy, empathy doesn't mean that we get it, that we have to get that out of people. It, it should just be about whatever, Whatever is out and whatever someone on your team or anyone is going through, we need to understand it as if we were them, not just how we feel about what's happening to them, how under put our thought about what they're going through and with the project or whatever they're going through. And then think about it in, in a sense of them going through it. I think it's very easy for us to think about sympathizing and empathizing. Empathizing is the same. It, and, and those are very different. I think one is about it is about understanding what someone's going through as them so that we can then help them, like Jeff said, uh, get through that or, or whatever they need out of it, I, I think is key. So, yeah. 
One of the reasons, uh, the, the no brainer to have you on the show is you guys are like, we are hiring and we need people. Um, you know, and, and when you say you're a dev, there's always like, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm an IT. Well, no shit. What do you do? And it's, <laughs> it's not even down to what they actually do. So you guys are, uh, what, how many open recs? What do you, are you looking for the whole gamut? What, I guess, walk me through, you know, the steps to, to, you know, get involved. Yeah, we're looking for we're looking for devs. So what we do is is modern tech stacks. It's a lot of the cloud native. We're building software on top of AWS, GCP, Azure, um, Java.net type. But it is it's modern solutions. It's it's team based work that we're doing. We're looking for the folks who can come in and be what we call solution architects, which is a really hands on tech lead role. Um, we're looking to bring on leaders as we grow. Um, and eventually we'll be looking for engineers at, at all different levels. And it's, it's, we talked about kind of the, the team model and the different, different things we need to bring. So there's also experience, right? We're looking for, for designers. There are what we call solution owners, which are also known as product managers, scrum masters in the industry who can help lead and, and organize our teams. Um, we do a lot with data as well. We got healthy quality engineering, a lot of automation. So there, there's quite a, a gamut of what we're looking for and what we're looking to build. So we can put together teams that can build out these solutions with the, with the human in mind, with the right data elements for, for our clients and partners. What uh, Now, my big thing was always, you know, we did a thing called Career Academy, getting people started in IT. Someone sitting at, you know, I, I got this crappy dead end job or I'm a bartender and I'm starting to get along in the tooth, right? And I want to, you know, I've always been thinking about coding. Um, are you talking to people that just got out of boot camp? What's the best path for, for, for someone to kind of get started, get their feet wet and, you know, kind of grow up in the ranks? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have a, a ton of success with, uh, with people coming right out of boot camp, switching, switching careers. Um, I, I think it's really just all about having that passion demonstrating uh, the ability to solve problems, you know, a willingness to partnership and uh, uh, and collaborate and, and kind of care deeply about what you're building and also uh, demonstrating that, that you know, uh, that, that you can uh, perform in a modern uh, software environment. So I, obviously that's a, uh, a broad subject on the last one, but, but absolutely, I think there's no barrier uh, to entry. Um, you know, obviously uh, um, there, there's a process to do it. I think one of the biggest feedbacks I get advice that I can think of coming from from people have done that journey is, is to really focus on not only um, the the code because I think you know it, it's that's a very straightforward thing to learn different frameworks learn the code and it's understanding kind of how modern software is developed and and, and this is a very people driven uh, thing right it's it's not about we're not gonna I thought when I was young that they had just sheets of paper that had exactly what people needed and then you just would go and then code that thing and then you would move on to the next piece of paper. And that's just not it. I mean, it's it's been always a, a an involvement in what's needed, and then a creativity to solve it, and then just uh, the nuts and bolts to, to to make it happen. So, really understanding the whole process, and just and, and just having a, a passion to stick with it, and, and try something that's very difficult. And and I think that that those are the the key blocks to uh, to a successful career. If you like Jeff and I, that I think that's the first thing in the equation here is that Jeff and I uh, make you feel that way. That's going to be a rough sell. And I'm just, yeah, I'm, I know. It's good thing there's no video here. So. Right, right, right. No, check definitely check out the career pages at Slalom. That's S L A L O M. I have a there's people that I know that are uh, 
that are not familiar with the spelling of that word. It's such a, it's yeah. such a every four year used term when the Olympics come around, but you don't, you know, don't hear it too often otherwise. But yeah, uh, check out careers board and we'll post it on the, on the show notes as well. Um, so jumping around, I was like, you know, talking about side projects and stuff that, you know, the, we're more than just our nine to five, right? And Bryce, this one caught my Mar- March Madness is coming up, and you're talking about this app you built because, like, your friend's dad was running a pool for 30 years and passed away, and you guys kind of picked up the ball and wrote an app. Yeah, absolutely. So my uh, so my best friend in college. Um, so I'm an avid uh, basketball fan, sports junkie, what what have you. I've been I've been watching this uh, March Madness, this uh, college basketball tournament. Uh, you know, since I since I can remember, and always doing the you know you pick who you who you think is going to win and all that stuff, and it's a betting thing. Um, so so yeah, I, my best friend in college, his dad ran this for something like 30 years. He he basically would send everyone would fill it out on paper who they did they w- thought would win it all every game. They would send it to him. He would then put it all into a spreadsheet. And then he had some, like, he would spend, like, weekend, every weekend during the tournament calculating the scores. Then he would mail out um, to people to, to let them know weekly how they're doing, if they, you know, what their point. I mean, it was insane. But but I joined this uh, when I was in there. Um, and then, shortly, unfortunately, shortly after college, his dad had passed away. Uh, he had a, a long battle with cancer. And so... Instead of having this, uh, and, and he had like 300 people in this pool, and they they lived for it every year. So I I, I thought to my friend, okay, let's run this, uh, but I'm not going to run it the way that your dad did it, because because I don't want to do that. And so, but I had just graduated from from college in computer science, and so I I built my first web app. I mean, if I showed it to you, I'd be super embarrassed of what it was back then. Uh, you know, full page refresh, all that stuff. But I. I converted all the database and uh, um, so that yeah, uh, anyone could just fill out the picks and then it would automatically score it and, and then, you know, show the leaderboard and all that stuff. And and, uh, um, and and so, OK, the question is, why why build your own when there are uh, these other you know ESPN, et cetera? Because this pool had a very uh, different scoring mechanism. The points were different as well as you could do multiple you could do multiple submissions per person. So instead of like one person, one submission, like is, is kind of more standard, I made it so that you could you could do as many as you want, as long as you know, you, you sent the money, uh, you paid for it. So that was the big difference. And then, um, uh, uh, and it, it kind of just became something that I got excited to build a- every year. And I expanded on it with now I have a, I, I became a very enamored in web scraping. Uh, so I wrote a Node.js application that would actually scrape all the teams all their records, all their, you know, basically their entire, don't tell ESPN this, please, that, uh, yeah. uh, you know, there's a web crawler that's finding out, you know, who won each game. And uh, and so I kind of made it fully automated. So it's pretty much just runs itself. But but the, the heart was to keep it so this, you know, 100, 200 people could keep doing the thing that they love and kind of we could kill, uh, still kind of carry on uh, my, my friend's uh, uh, dad's kind of tradition. And so it, it was super meaningful for me because I, I learned a lot a, as I went. It taught me how to own something, how to build it, how to keep it going. And uh, and it's something that was mine. And, and so I, I think that's been something that I, I've been uh, I've been excited to keep going. And, uh, you know, just just uh, just yesterday, I think I was up until uh, whatever uh, or the night before until like maybe two in the morning getting it ready because the, the bracket just came out yesterday. So it's uh, it's a labor of love, but uh, it's something I really uh, I really enjoy doing. It's uh, it's funny you bring that up because when we interviewed, we always one of the key questions is always talk to me about a project you're working on. Talk to me about your home lab. Um, you know, and Jeff, you brought up, uh, you know, you got into the IoT smart home thing. Um, 
I'm interested to hear this because most of us all have the the stupid Nest Cam and the Google Home and the you know the the the, the simple stuff. I want to hear what you got going on. Yeah, I started. I think like a lot of people, I was home a lot more than I ever was. So I started figuring, okay, how can I automate like everything? And then I got into this idea that we have all these virtual worlds, right? And how can I make a virtual world interact with the physical world of my house? So I built a, a Roblox game. Roblox is a platform to build kids' games, basically. And I played around with it with my daughter. She was really into it. So we built a Roblox game where when you step on a colored tile in the game, it changes the color of a light in the house. So you, you have the, kind of that interaction going between the virtual world and, and the physical world. So this is some next level stuff. I'm Go on. All right. Well, and so then it is, okay, how can I make something in the physical world change the game world? So then we did it opposite. I, I When you turn off the light, it, we then made it turn off in the game world, turn on the light, turn on in the game world. So, so you got to, you got to walk me through, like, how does that, you know, is this, yeah, I don't know what I don't know. Why, yep. So how the hell do you make that happen? <laughs> so from the from the game world to the physical world, all you do is it, it's just uh it's just an API call from it's it's Lua script in, in Roblox, but whatever world you're you're building, whatever platform you're building, Unity, and you're gonna be able to make these API calls. And I set up uh if this then that, a simple if this then that recipe I could call through an API that then triggered my my LifeX bulb. And all I had to do is pass into that call the the color of the tile the character stepped on. So so you know this is my like second biggest nightmare. Um my first one being the Boston Scientific Dogs. If you if you know my history yeah, with yeah. them, that is that is worse than Pennywise in my world in terms of scaring the absolute bejesus out of me. But the second one is the metaverse where factory workers are going to be able to sit on their couch with with goggles on and w- run multiple machines in multiple factories with their headsets on and you're 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 enabling this Jeff I'm blaming you for all of it <laughs> if this becomes a reality um how far are we away from from my from my death scenario um that I completely don't want to happen but I know it's inevitable I we're getting closer every day and I think we're getting closer faster than we realize so you look at the pace of change of technology. I'm reading the the Grapes of Wrath, which is one of the themes in there is like tractors came right and, and disrupted farming and disrupted the lives of hundreds of thousands of people and they had they had to migrate west. So it's a technology thing. And one of the one of the funny anecdotes in the book, the two kids see a flush toilet for the first time. And they flush it and they think they broke it and things like that. And that got me thinking, okay, I, I Googled then because I'm a little bit of a data nerd, how many toilets were in American homes in the 40s, and it was only half of homes. And that was 80 some years ago, right? 82 years ago. So look at kind of the pace of change from then till now where we have these AI smart bots. And when I bought my house, when I bought my first house, my wife and I drove around and looked at a lot of houses outside and saw the neighborhood and stuff. When I bought this house, I just threw on my, uh, my Oculus went to Google Earth and, and stood up. The first time I saw my house that I'm in right now was in virtual reality, right? And and just took a look at it. So that, that pace of change, it's, it's happening so quickly. It's wild. Well, you, th- you think about it, though, from, uh, you know, from a real estate standpoint, yeah, you can do that now and look at, 
you know, and then you can narrow down your 14 houses to those three. And then you yeah. can actually look at those three, you know, because there's a lot of, you know, you walk in, you're like, oh my God, I got to remodel 17 rooms. I'm done. I'm out. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, do houses have 17 rooms? I don't know. I don't think so anymore. It's a big house. Five. five yeah, I know. You know, no, I don't live in a big house. Um, Maybe in the metaverse. <laughs> Maybe. Right, right. But like that's you know, it was it, it's becoming the movies that we that we didn't want to happen. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I don't want a ready player one world. I don't want second life, I don't want surrogate, like you know, do you know that one, the Bruce Willis movie? Like that seems awful. Like there's certain applications I think I will I will be good, but I think it's gonna be there's gonna be too many things that uh for the wrong reasons, I think. I think one thing that's really exciting for me of that, and it's kind of like, it's not to your kind of uh, scary scenario, but it's kind of in the middle there is, is like the, the augmented reality solutions with, in terms of major manufacturing or, um, you know, huge, like, uh, um, uh, there was, there's something about that. The, there's huge, like uh, farm equipment, like to, to the uh, Jeff's point or huge machines that need like very complex repairs. And instead of like, you know, studying a manual and kind of knowing exactly the process of getting trained, they have this uh, augmented reality where it'll walk any, not anyone, but it'll walk you through what needs to be done. It can highlight the part that you need to do and even kind of give you some. So I think that's like fascinating where it will, it will open up the ability to be kind of more specialized and maybe even, you know, you could fly this thing, you know, into remote places and you could kind of open up that ability to uh, where, where before you would have to have a very niche or a very expensive, specific person to do. I think that kind of way to open up and kind of flatten the world, I, I think, is, is something that's very exciting. I just don't want where we're having like Terminator goggles or glasses or implants where I look at you and it says, you know, Bryce Levin, age, you know, 38 from Beverly Hills, Michigan, oh, you. Yeah, you know, yeah. warrant for his arrest. And it Googles like you're you know, all your, like your eliminate. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. Like, arrest. <laughs> I just, you know, and you could smell that stuff coming to what they're doing with facial recognition, especially oh, in yeah. China. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. I want to get to that kind of world where, you know, the social scoring and like, for as good as the technology is the, you know, you know, it's going to go South, you know, it's going to, you know, we're going to give up our, our rights because we get these awesome GPS maps with traffic. You know what I mean? Like, no, except that they know exactly where you are at every minute of the day. You know, I, 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 I hung out and had beers last. I haven't seen him in probably a good year. And we, uh, first time he's been out and he goes, he's in technology. He's one of the best cloud engineers I've ever met in my life. And he goes, Bob, all I want to do is buy 40 acres in Northern Michigan, live off the grid and get the hell out of here. And I'm like, it goes, I hate technology. And like, yeah, go, you've lived like, you're like one of the smartest people I know in that world. He's like, don't care. One out. Like, and he, he could see it, you know? So yeah, you know, as much as I, I, the, the, the Jeff's world that he's building, like as long as it's used for goofy fun stuff, I'm, I'm completely in, but I, I could just smell it's going South. Um, We'll look at look at the social networks that we had. I think we all started that. It's great. We can keep up with friends from college or family and send pictures. And now it's like we're basically at the borderline brink of democracy and uh, you know and uh, uh, you know and uh, the framework of of you know reality, truth, and and non truth. So I got you said dude. You said dude on Twitter fourteen years ago. I'm going to fire you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because dude is a bad word now, and it wasn't that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. My my buddy just texted me because he dressed up as Scott Hall, Razor Ramon for Halloween when we were like 22 or 23. And he goes, God, I wish we would have had cell phone cameras back when we were kids. And I'm like, nope. I'm no, so, no, no, I'm exactly. So happy we didn't document those years. You have no idea. 
That's um, why we're all still in the running for president, you know, even, uh, but we wouldn't have been if, if, if otherwise. For oh, I'm, sure. I'm sure as hell not. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> no, that, that was, uh, I always love Dave's line. He goes, if I ever ran for office, I would just give him the book. Here's all the shit I've done. Um, you know, if you, st- if you still want me in contention, fine. But um, there's no, there's nothing you could find because here it all is, you know. Um, Open book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So other than that, what other, uh, you know, I see you're in the 3D printing a little bit. Are you a past making chess pieces in Star Trek uh, characters? Or are you actually doing stuff and then for the on the 3D printing side, Jeff? I am, I am so bad at 3D printing. And I don't know if it's just me. And maybe there's someone out there who can who can help me, but man, it is hard. So many different settings and tinkering, and you spend all the time watching YouTube videos, you get everything perfect, and you come down and you end up with that weird ball of twine, right? Yeah, weird ball of filament. How long ago, Randy, were were you around when we were talking about like the? It's going to be like a utility in the house, and it's going to come yeah. in. Like- Oh, the washer needs a new gear or whatever. Let me just print one and fix it yeah, myself in four like, hours. We yeah. thought it was going to be like the size of like a dishwasher. You would have all the the stuff that you could. It would either get piped in or would bring in, and you could like order stuff on GitHub for like whatever part you needed in metal or serrate. You break a plate, you know, here's a new one. Like we all thought that was going to be now, um, and it just hasn't. It's it's everyone just making chess pieces of like stupid cartoons. Like what? What what happened? Because I know that weren't they three D building houses in like twenty four hours? They were putting like the cinder blocks. Mm-hmm. I don't hear that anymore. Um, they had a three D built car that one time at, at at the at the North American Auto Show. Don't hear about that anymore. Like, wh- do you know what happened or what 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 happened? Politics. I don't. You know. I I, I think I wanted to jump into something. Maybe it's like it, it's it's. It's so prevalent that it's now no longer prevalent. You know, like you don't notice it as much. You know, one thing I, I, I'm I, I'm big into like racing games on uh, on the um, oh on PlayStation Four. I, I I can't convince my wife to let me spend money to get the newest uh, version. But but so like instead of using don't like tell her, do what I do. It's kind of awkward to drive like with the sticks. So I actually bought on Etsy. Someone had three D printed like this contraption that would convert circular motion so like you could have a steering wheel and then it would it, it would it would move the levers on the stick so that you could have like the kind of um sort of like radio i guess like control but then you could still go into like this horizontal i thought it was super genius and and this was obviously 3d printed and i and i bought it i don't i don't know how else you it didn't really work that well i stopped using it right there were there are a myriad of problems with it but i think it's interesting that it got into the market where now instead of we only buying online things that are mass produced something that that got legs to then go and be produced that you can then buy cheap you can just buy this this kind of very unique thing from someone that just printed it and and then even they could print it out the instructions so that anyone could build it so i thought that was fascinating how that was kind of a crossover into the you know into the retail world where it's kind of it, it, it makes it more accessible for people to sell things that they make versus having to have a relationship with china to manufacture it uh, etc so but i hear your point it kind of comes and goes in terms of how much we see that, and maybe it's gone. Maybe I was the last person to buy that because it's it's, it's an old thing, you know. Or the market. I mean, it's, it's a lot of it's math and economics too, right? Yeah. If it's yeah. cheaper for me to do it this way or faster labor savings, it's all a math problem. And like you could say, ooh, I have a you know 3D printed house. But like if it costs double, 
right? Know. Versus, uh, you know, making it in a factory, then then so be it. Well, hey, we're going to cut you guys short. I can't thank you enough for the time spent. Bryce Levin, Jeff Ginn from Slalom, Slalom Build. Um, tons of jobs openings uh, in their in the office in Detroit that they're building out. Um, I want to post the uh, link to the and uh, the, the show notes, and, and we're going to share it out on Twitter as well. Can't thank you guys enough for the fun stories, and I, I seriously look forward to working closely with you over the over the coming years. I'm uh, super happy I made the move here, so um, I wish you guys nothing but the best, and I, I thanks for the time. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. thank you, Randy. Thank you so much, guys. All right, hey, we're going to wrap things up for episode 430 of the IT and the D Show. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.